0: What is up, Bills Mafia? Welcome in to the Friday episode of Shout at Buffalo Bills football podcast. He is Ryan but I am Matt Perino, and we promised you one more episode this week because um, we had a lot going on, on on Wednesday. And we had a lot to get into. We had a special guest. Uh, we were going to take some fan questions. We didn't get to all of those. So to, in today's episode, we are going to open it up to everybody watching. And all of our insiders who already uh, sent in some uh, some questions here today. Hi to Kate uh, in the comments. One of our insiders. Perfect timing. And uh, we're going to uh, get into a bunch of different things. But Ryan, how are you, my friend, to start off with here?
1: You know, I'm doing great, Matt. You reached out to me today. You sounded fired up to have another podcast. So I'm ready to kick this one off.
0: I am, to say the least, sick of a lot of things right now in the media landscape and it's been it's been bubbling for me for a long time and I've we've commented on the show we've had shows dedicated around Colin cowherd in the past when I you know he said some frustrating things now I I actually respect Colin Cowherd I think he does a pretty good job um to talk to cover all sports is really challenging like I want to start there like you know, when you're on the national level, you can't be an expert on everything. Like, you got to kind of pick and choose. You got to kind of parachute in and, you know, then like get off the boat, if you will, uh, and go cover a bunch of other different things. Um, Sheila asked, What did he say? We're going to get into what he said uh, in a second here. Um, but Stephen A. Smith, uh, of, uh, uh, a clip from First Take went viral this morning on the heels of the NFL award show yesterday. Uh, Lamar Jackson, MVP. Joe Flacco, uh, comeback player of the, the year, which we'll we'll get into that. Uh, we got a, a question on that. I I don't think anybody's really got a problem with the MVP um, award and how it was handed out. Like, if you want to make an argument for Josh Allen, which you know I, I've been in that camp at times, like I think you can make an argument for him. Uh, I think that's fair. Uh, but Stephen A. Smith reacted to the one vote. First place vote that went for Josh Allen out of the fifty voters. We'll get to that in a second as well. Um, and it was Aaron Schatz from uh, formerly of Football Outsiders. Now he's working with a different outfit. He's the uh, creator of the DVOA stat. Um, Ryan, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about Aaron Schatz before we get into this clip?
1: Yeah. So listen, he's made a complete one hundred and eighty on Josh Allen in his uh, his time covering the league, covering football. Uh, he, he called Josh Allen a parody of a prospect in uh, the Football Outsiders leading up to that draft class. So one, I'm going to give Aaron some credit here because it, it would be very easy to stay critical of a player that you were very strong about. Uh, you could point to the turnovers, You could do certain things to try to prove your point. But he has come around and, and he has pretty much said, you know, I was wrong about Josh Allen in terms of what I was expecting, the way that he's been coached, the way that he's been coached up in general and the way he's played uh, is completely different than what his expectations were. So I want to give him kudos for that because early on, he did not think very highly of that pick for the bills.
0: Right. So that's setting the stage of who Aaron Schatz is, what uh, the history has been. uh, And he was the one voter that voted for Josh Allen for MVP. And here's the crazy thing about it. He wrote a 2,000-word essay on why he did a few weeks ago. We featured it on the show. We yeah. talked about it. And I, he made a lot of great, great points. Before we go any further, let me show you this clip from first take today, uh, everything that Stephen A. Smith uh, said in this clip that's since been absolutely ripped apart. I, th- I found it uh, awful announcing, ended up tweeting it, which is fitting.
1: Yeah. That one vote against Lamar Jackson, yeah, that jeopardizes why sports writers, people talk about how sports writers yeah. shouldn't stupid. be voting. Yeah. That was a stupid homer right. vote I by agree. that individual, Not probably right. scared to go back in the locker room if he had voted against 100%. Josh Allen. That compromises everything. You have to be objective when you have a vote. And that writer, that writer was, I don't know who the hell it was, but that's an embarrassment. You're right about But
0: that. we're going to sit... Okay. so <laughs> a couple okay. things here.
1: For everyone on the panel to agree with him as well. idiot. That's wild, right? (laughs) Nobody
0: pushes back. And listen, I've been there before. Like, listen, I've been accused of it on this show where I'm like actively actively listening, thinking about the next topic. Like, we've all been in that spot. Listen, I think Dan Orlovsky does a really good job. I'm not going to, you know, uh, take too much umbrage with him. But for Stephen A. Smith, a guy that has historically put his foot in his mouth when it comes to the NFL... UFC, um, that whole exchange that he had with Joe Rogan on a live pay-per-view where he's talking out of his you-know-what for two minutes and Joe Rogan is just a meme sitting there listening to the, the nonsense spewing from his face. I don't have an issue with you taking issue with somebody voting for Josh Allen. But to lay out your argument and be completely uninformed on what you're talking about, completely to say it's a homer vote from somebody who has been ultra critical of josh allen over the course of his career if anything he's got to eat a whole load of humble pie to put in that vote and to switch his viewpoint which i think he's talked quite a bit about that's number one number two it's a it's a homer move right he says it's a disgrace to the whole panel what about lamar jackson's season screams unanimous MVP to anybody. We've been talking about this for weeks. Remember when I had Mike Sando on from the athletic, one of the most respected voters on that entire list of, let's be honest, a lot of very comical, uh, panelists that are voting on that award. Emmanuel Acho is a joke. Like, listen, there's Colin Cowherd. There is, um, Shannon Sharp, there's Stephen A. Smith, there's Skip Bayless. I don't know if any of them are as bad as Emmanuel Acho with the clickbait nonsense crap that he puts out all the time. I don't know Emmanuel Ocho. I think he's leaning into the shtick, and that's fine. But the reason I'm so like, I don't want to say upset, but like annoyed by all of this is that it then gets flooded into our mentions and we have to just deal in the discourse of this just idiocy and it's you know i had three or four tweets that i had ready to go that i was going to fire out and it just like do i want to wade in the waters of it all i thought i'd just bring it to the podcast and talk about it here
1: and, and that's fine but you know if anything you should have been critical of the group think that was going on with 49 people voting lamar jackson first place because you said it there was nothing special about lamar jackson season I think he earned the MVP when uh, you know, the award itself based on the accolades. Unfortunately uh, this is an award that's given. It feels like every year to the quarterback on the best team that has, you know, solid stats. He had a good season. He did not come close to his 2019 campaign. He did not come close to Tom Brady's 2010 campaign. And those are the only two quarterbacks that have been voted unanimously, the MVP in NFL history. So, for him to sit there and, and say that it was a travesty for someone to uh, not vote for Lamar Jackson and it was someone that's afraid of going to go into the locker room, it's wild. Uh, and at the end of the day, too, I mean, listen, if I were given a vote, I would have gone with Lamar Jackson this year. But I would not have held anything against people voting for Josh Allen because I, I think there's a valid case to be made that especially this year, Allen meant significantly more to his team. I think Baltimore had a pretty lights out defense for most of the year that uh, you could have had game managers come in there and, and hold a lead. And I know it's a regular season award, but we have seen Lamar Jackson wilt time and time again in the playoffs where he can't you know, beat teams that score 13 or more points against him. This is a quarterback that is very flawed in terms of his skill set, uh, in terms of his career accolades. And for for Stephen A. Smith to be sitting there on, on this show one day after the MVP is awarded and make it seem like this was an unbelievable travesty, like Lamar threw for five thousand yards or something and uh, had fifty-five touchdowns. He was he had he didn't have the most touchdowns at the quarterback position. Josh Allen did. He he wasn't the greatest passer. He didn't have the most yards passing. He's a dynamic player. I'm not trying to take anything away from Lamar Jackson, but this was not a unanimous unanimous MVP type of campaign.
0: So check this out, Lamar Jackson, and I'm right there with you. I'm I'm not trying to take anything away from his, the season that he had, but like, look at, look at the season, like from a passing perspective, three, 3,678 yards uh, and 24 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Right. Um, That's about as mundane as you get. Josh Allen back in 2019, remember that season, right? Like when he threw all those picks against the Patriots and he kind of got right. And that was before the big breakout. He threw for almost 3,100 yards. So about 500 yards off of the pace that Lamar threw, uh, had 20 passing touchdowns and only nine interceptions. I mean, Lamar Jackson's season this year was just basically a, you know, a, a small amount better than Josh Allen in arguably outside of his rookie year, which was obviously his worst season. His worst season of the last five. And yeah. I, I saw I saw an argument being made that if you were to flip the stats for Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson still would have won MVP, right? Because yeah. of the like because of the fact that it, it feels like it goes to the quarterback on the team with the most wins, right? Now, I think Josh Allen should have been penalized for You know, a couple of clunkers in in the middle of the season. The fact that their team was sitting there at six and six, that's all fair game. And Mike Sando, he ultimately landed on Lamar Jackson, but, you know, was kind of teetering on the idea of Josh Allen. And I think in the end, whether it was turnovers or some of the inconsistent play, he just didn't get there. And that's fine. It's not about that. I, I don't have any issue with Lamar Jackson being the MVP. He was great this year for his team. He did what he needed to do. He got them to the number one seed and within a game of the Super Bowl. Because when you get that number one seed, you get that easier matchup in the second round, right? You get to play the four seed or potentially the five seed if there's an upset. And I feel like it gives you an easier path. That's why so many teams are selling out to try to get that number one seed. So kudos to Lamar. And it's a regular season award. If it was not a regular season award, I don't think you would have it. But that all being said, you know, Stephen A. Smith said something so important at the end of that brainless rant that he went on. He said, I don't even know who this guy is. Well, you know what, Stephen A? You didn't have to say that because with all of your comments, we know that you don't know. Most of the things you're talking about when it comes to the NFL, you don't know. Who was the player a couple years ago when he said, uh, he was talking about him for the chargers and he wasn't even going to play in that game. Cause he was out for the season with a season, any injury. And this was like at the end of the season, I can't remember. Yeah. His name and it doesn't really matter. The guy puts his foot in his mouth over and over again. And I guess this opening segment segment was just to say, turn the dial. When Stephen A. Smith comes up and he's talking about the NFL. Now the NBA, I must admit, I will pull up a chair. I've been a Stephen A. Smith guy for NBA coverage for a long time, he was super plugged in, in the league. I still think he's super plugged in, and I know he's kind of like a caricature of what he once was, but I still will listen on occasion. But, man, if he's talking MMA, football, next.
1: Yeah, and that's the great way of putting it. He's another guy that has leaned into almost a character of sorts because it gets the ratings. It gets him his next contract. It, it gets him some shows. It gets him podcasts, radio spots, you name it. And I understand that. But time and time again, like you said, and and matters that he knows nothing about, he puts his foot in his mouth. And uh, today was just the latest case of that. How about we pivot, Matt, to the second part of our headline, have the NFL awards become a joke? Because I I feel like they have.
0: I mean, that's kind of what we were just talking about, right? Like, I mean, you run down the list of uh, voters for this award. And it is eye popping, like some of the people that are are doing this. And listen, whatever you think about people's content or the things that they say about the sport, it, that's one thing. But like, I, I do think that there is a level of, you know, objectivity necessary for these kinds of um, awards that keep it, that hold it to a certain standard. And I know we're reaching a, a period of time and I don't have the, do you have the list in front of you? Uh, I don't. The uh, let me
1: bring that up. Um, Cause I do want to well, like kind of go into some of who are these. Yeah. While you're going players. into that, I'm just going to rant a little bit about some of the awards from last night. Uh, coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski, get out of here with that. He did not deserve to be coach of the year. That was D'Amico Ryans all the way. Uh, there were very little or few expectations for the Houston Texans this year. And, The way he coached them up and and had them, you know, advancing in the playoffs, making the playoffs, what have you. I really feel like uh, Stefanski did nothing to really deserve that award. I felt like the Browns were a very strong defensive team this year, and that's why a former Bills defensive coordinator ended up winning the assistant coach of the year uh, for them in Jim Schwartz. And, And that one I'm right on board with. Completely agree. Uh, you, you look at, obviously, we can talk, we'll talk more about DeMar Hamlin separately, but, uh, you know, shame on the eight voters that didn't even have him in their top three for the votes. Uh, if you have some, an issue with the amount of snaps that he played, I get that part, I guess. Uh, but a, a guy that died on the field and you don't think, ah, he's worth, he's he should get at least, a, you know, he's fourth or fifth on my ballot. That's crazy to me. That's wild to me. Joe Flacco just a few weeks ago, or one week ago, said, uh, what am I coming back from, being old and sitting on the couch? And you look at his stats, they weren't eye-popping. Matt, I think it was 13 touchdowns to eight interceptions. Uh, this is not someone that came to the Browns and is the reason they made the playoffs, is the reason they claimed the five seed. It was that defense. Flacco was a game manager. He was a good game manager at times, but nothing over his stretch of time with Cleveland should have given him the uh, comeback player of the year award. And, you know, there's some issues with some of the others as well. A lot of people felt TJ Watt was more deserving of defensive player of the year over Miles Garrett. And uh, Watt just kind of said, Hey, I know, you know, I expect this at this point, there were so many different ballots cast that, you know, maybe they need to go away from the national media talking heads, having these votes and, Spreading them out over beat reporters for teams and uh, figuring out a better system because this this doesn't this just isn't it because like you said these people that are these national talk show hosts they'll fall in line with the group think because they're not watching all the games they don't catch every Bills game they don't catch every Ravens game et cetera et cetera and it shows in the way that they vote on a lot of these awards. You know it's tough because like you, you could probably make an argument that the. Uh beat reporters is a
0: tough one because like they're so invested, not invested, but like so much of their time is spent watching even like their own division. Right. Like I cover, you know, two Patriots bills games every year, two dolphins bills games, two jets bills games. So you see that more. So I, I think there's like, unless somebody has been in the business a long time, I feel like, you know, you, you, you got to be careful there a little bit too, but you're right. Like at that point, how many national, um, sports writers are there that are super trustworthy. I mean, listen, you know, Vic Carucci's on there. Uh, He's covered the NFL for a very, very long time. Uh, I I think that's a trustworthy guy. You know, guys like Tony Dungy, guys like Tom Curran in Boston, guys like um, even Tom Brady. I'm pro Tom Brady being able to vote for this award. First of all, he's somebody that uh, has won the award. But also, did you watch him on the Pat McAfee show? You're muted.
1: Had the train going through, so I muted myself. Yeah, Ah, he was very articulate. Don't you
0: mute that train? I I know. Oh, baby.
1: I I have some guy revving up his bike out there. I have a train going through. It's uh almost sixty degrees out there, and people are acting like it's summer It is beautiful
0: after school with the with the with the little guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really nice, but yeah, I had to mute it for that reason. But yeah. Tom Brady was great, Uh, blown away. I was a little worried about him replacing Greg Olson because I think Greg Olson's done a really good job uh, for Fox Sports on that lead team. But Brady, I I thought, came across very well in his interview there. I I have high expectations for what he's going to be able to do. Yeah.
0: And like, you know, talking about all of the games he's already like mock called preparing for what this is going to be like next year. Like, I mean, he's in the thick of it already. I think he uh, he's always been pretty good when talking about guys anyway. So I think he watches it. I think it's an informed decision uh, that he would make, but then you get to some people. I mean, Emmanuel Acho is on here. Um, Yeah. Mina Kimes. I don't have a problem with that. I think she's really good. Um, Peter King, obviously good. Sam Monson from pro football focus. All right. Um, You know, even Dan Arlovsky and, um, um, Chris Sims and Mike Tarico and Mike Florio. It's like, I don't know. It's just like this, this group of people that you just don't know where they're coming from in terms of like how how much they have their finger on the pulse. But you know, 49 people voted for for Lamar. I think Lamar was pretty much the consensus from everybody I talked to that I know in the business. So in the end, I don't have a huge problem with who won the award. But to have an issue. With a guy who led the NFL in scoring plays this season, getting one vote for MVP, you're telling on yourself, man. Like that's, that's craziness.
1: It is craziness. And, and like we said at the very beginning, there was nothing about Lamar's Jackson this year that screamed unanimous MVP vote uh, or winner. He had a good season. He deserves the award. They were the best team in the AFC in the regular season. That's kind of how this thing works now. So he met all the criteria. He had one of his better seasons, but it wasn't better than his unanimous MVP year. It just wasn't. It wasn't close to that. So for for people to be upset that, you know, Josh Allen got one first place vote is like you said, wild. What's up, everybody?
0: Matt Perino here. One half of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast here today to talk to you about prize picks America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 5 million members. It is the most fun and exciting way to get in on the action while you watch your favorite sports and players. You just pick more or less on two or more player stats for a shot to win up to 100 times your cash. Testing your skills on prize picks this playoff basketball season is the most simple way to get in on the action. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and submit your lineup. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes. Prize picks, the number one fantasy sports app. Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S H O U T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today and use code SHOUT, S H O U T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Um, All right, we're going to get into our insider-submitted questions now for the second portion of the show. And you can become an insider right now by texting 716-528-6727. That's 716-528-6727. You get a two-week free trial. Check it out. Uh, And this is going to be a really good time. I go to Indianapolis in two and a half weeks here. Um, Everything that I hear on the ground there, I am going to be flooding into the text line. Uh, So it's going to be a busy time. Uh, it won't be busy all off season long, but listen, just stay with us. Stay logged on. I mean, it, it's $3.99 a month, adds up to about $50 for, per, per season. So just take five Starbucks. I did it today. I made my own coffee instead of going in cold brew. Save myself <laughs> $6. Those things add up real quick. Just do that five or six times. And uh, what is it? Seven or eight times? $6. I don't know. Matt's
1: not my special. $48 if you do it eight times, Matt. How many times? Eight times would be $48 at $6 a pop.
0: Boom. That's why he's here, guys. The math guy. I love it. When, half the time I, I text or call you, you're, you're doing uh, math with your kids. Yeah. Um, and half the time you call me, my wife's doing math with my kids. So that that's the dynamic in, in these households here. Um, so become an insider. You get access to us. So you can text us anytime you want. Um, any questions, any comments, uh, anything you want to know, and then you get priority uh, when we do these um, uh, question uh, portions of the show. So let's start with the first one here from Michael Lee. Uh, I thought John Butler did a good job during his time here, but relationships are key. You have to be able to relate to all your players. I like that McDermott is working with his young coordinators and is shaking up the coaching staff. My guess is, is they lean into the roster shakeup on defense this year too? So not really a, a, a question there, uh, but more of a com, uh, comment. Uh, and then Faith Brown says Kyer's comments just did not sit right with her. Uh, I hope he flourishes this off season. Obviously, Kyer at locker clean out, not super complimentary of John Brown, uh, John Butler, and I think that that um, uh, played into some of the takeaway here from some of the uh, insiders. We get to a couple more here. With uh, This is from Christy Alley. With the quarterback two job now open, Kyle Allen expected to be a free agent, would the Bills offer to keep Kyle, bring back a guy like Mitchell Trubisky, or does the new potential quarterback coach maybe open the door to someone new? Uh, also, is Christian Benford is a favorite uh, of hers? Do you see him being given a
1: bigger role? All right, Ryan, why don't you start us off there? Yeah, so let's start with John Butler, first of all. Uh, relationships are important, and it's, it certainly seems like there is a there was a strained relationship between he and Kyrie Elam based on Elam's comments. However, to Butler's credit, uh, I think just about every other cornerback safety uh, that's been through Buffalo during his time and during his, uh, you know, have, holding a position in Buffalo would probably rave about him. This secondary has been a strength of the team year in and year out. Uh, whether you're talking about the safeties in Hyde and Poyer, whether you're talking about the corners, we talked on Wednesday about how he got a lot out of players for that cornerback two spot between guys like Levi Wallace and Kevin Johnson. And uh, obviously, more as of late, Dane Jackson playing a big role there, but also developing players like Christian Benford and bringing them along. So th- there's a lot there, but yeah, this gives Kyrie Elam a, a new lease on life, so to speak, in, in Buffalo. It gives him a legit chance, but to the second question about Christian Benford there, or the last question, I think that he is in line for a, a bigger role as long as he can stay healthy. That's the, the caveat to all of this. He was banged up a lot this year. He has to be able to stay healthy, but his, his game has developed by leaps and bounds uh, he, when he was out there on the field, he looked the part of a CB2 for this team, made some really good plays, read the quarterbacks, made some interceptions, jumped some routes, pass breakups, etc. Uh, So I, I thought he did a really good job there. And I feel like I'm missing one other part of the, one of the questions. So um, the quarterbacks. And oh, quarterbacks. Yeah.
0: I think for me, Kyle Allen makes the most sense because the bills don't really have deep pockets to go out and get a more seasoned veteran or maybe even an upgrade on Kyle Allen. And I do think having him in the room is something that they really like that dynamic. I mean, you could just see it, the the comfort level with with Kyle Allen, who is obviously Josh's best friend or one of them. Uh, I, I feel like puts him in a spot where they can kind of just run that back. He's going to be more comfortable in the system in year two. I think he's got a good relationship with Joe Brady, which also helps the whole situation. Could they bring in somebody new based on the new quarterbacks coach? Sure, that's definitely a possibility. But I think when you have something like that, like uh, you know, a new quarterbacks coach. Uh, a new offensive coordinator for the most part. He he had eight games last year. Keeping that continuity with somebody that worked well in the room with Allen, I think might be a priority for them. And he doesn't cost anything.
1: Right. You know, there were some Bills fans speculating, maybe Jameis Winston because of the the New Orleans ties. I don't see it. I still think he'll probably get
0: it. That whole thing at the end of that season-ending game, I think eliminated him
1: off of like 10 teams. That's fair. And, and I still think he'll also be that quarterback that gets a little bit more than uh, a guy like Kyle Allen. You know, my only pushback on Kyle and Allen would be maybe this is the year with so many picks that the Bills actually draft hmm. a guy like uh, in me. those middle, late to middle rounds, maybe fifth round guy that has traits that they like and, and develop because, you the, know, the it, Rattler. It, it may be. I, I like a Rattler. Um, Because if if Josh Allen were to go down, I don't care if it's Kyle Allen, Mitch Trubisky, uh, anyone that they've had at that uh, quarterback two position, this Bills team is not going to go very far. It goes back to the original discussion about Allen and his importance to this team. He is so important that it doesn't matter who else is behind him based on those backups. They're not going to be able to do much, and I would much rather use that position on a rookie uh, develop them, and then maybe have some trust in him in a few in a year or two, say, well, if Allen is out for a week or two or two to three weeks, this is someone that's been in the system for a few years. He's been with our quarterbacks, coach, our OC. We've really brought him along. We think that he'll be a good fit rather than these year-to-year flyers that the Bills seem to be taking on. Backups who aren't going to get you very far into the postseason if, uh, or even into the postseason if something were to happen to Allen. Next one comes from Scott Lunn.
0: Uh, I'd like to know if you guys believe like I do that the Bills are in a position where they have to change their approach to rookies and the playing time they see from the jump. I think with the needed wide receiver and defensive tackle in particular, the team is going to have to draft players to fill needs and let them develop on the field. The previous approach of giving them a bunch of time and slow rolling them into the lineup seems to have been a detriment and cost them more than once. We see players around the league contributing immediately uh, elsewhere, especially several of the wide receivers in last year's draft. Time for a new approach, in my opinion. 100%. I think this is – well – so th- there was an example this year of Sean McDermott's approach paying off and that's Terrell Bernard, right? Completely sits out his rookie year uh, has one game where it just doesn't go well for him. He gets a chance to recalibrate in the offseason, comes out and is absolutely great. I thought there was a lot of good though from Khalil Shakir in his rookie season and he took a jump in year two. So right. I think there's a way to depending on the player and the position, you know, get them out there. Like, you know, if, whoever you draft in the first round at this point with the way the roster is constructed and with, you know, how many free agents you're losing. And, you know, you're probably not going to bring the same amount of quality players back. You're going to have to find somebody at 28 or earlier to come in and help you right away. A la uh, Dalton Kincaid last season.
1: Yeah. and, And I would even argue Kincaid was kind of slow played early on until Knox got banged up. And then you had to feature him more and get him more targets and, At that point, he wasn't giving the job back to Dawson Knox when he returned from that injury. Uh, But Osiris Torrance, week one starter, played every snap on the uh, offensive line. We saw it way back in, in the regime with Tremaine Edmonds. When there are needs and there's a player that wins the job, Sean McDermott will go with it. If it's a position where there's veterans that maybe know his system or have been here, He doesn't want to rock the boat, it feels like, sometimes. And, you know, Terrell Bernard, as great as he was this year, there was no spot for him to start last year, or the year before that, excuse me, his rookie year, because they had Edmonds and Milano. uh, And they were healthy, and they were playing a lot. But you pointed out the defensive tackle position. If the Bills take a defensive tackle with one of their first three picks, I want him in the lineup, and I want him playing significant reps, uh, because you're going to need to count on that guy by the end of the season more likely than not. Uh, you'll you'll bring in some cheaper veterans, I'm sure, to kind of rotate in there to kind of have a role. But get your rookie out there and make him play significant reps. Safety position, same thing. If Micah Hyde were to retire, uh, you know you you can bring back Taylor Rapp. You can have Jordan Poyer, but I want a safety playing significant reps there, getting that work in. There are times where slow playing rookies have worked for this regime, and. Uh, it's the same thing. If the Bills take some depth at cornerback in, in the draft, probably doesn't play a lot as a rookie because you do have Christian Benford. You do have Russell Douglas. You have Kyrie Elam getting another opportunity and, you know, Taryn Johnson. Uh, that's a spot where there's a roadblock there. There has been roadblocks at other positions too, but wide receiver two is another area where you can go out and you can draft a guy potentially in round one or round two and get them the reps that they they need as a rookie, get them out there, get them experienced, get them seasoned and, and hope that by the end of the year, they're comfortable in the system and they can contribute in meaningful games.
0: Um, you know, the, the thing with Butler is, is interesting. And just the, the Kyrie Elam dynamic and the fact that, you know, with a new, uh, Jamil, uh, a die now in that room, you know, maybe a chance for Kyrie Elam to connect with a guy in a different way. Now, you know, I think the, the John Butler stuff is interesting because we've maintained on this show over the years, Ryan, you know, the, the position coach on defense, the problem was never John Butler. Like no, this guy has been um, steady as uh, steady Eddie. Like that's Brandon Bean's favorite phrase, right? Like that's what John Butler has been for this defense over the course of his career. And like, at times when we've been year after year asking and begging for more from that defensive front, I feel like this secondary has bowed them out in a lot of different ways. And you now, the one criticism I had of Butler was that Elam never played, but you know, from conversations I've had, like he wasn't ready to play in, in the eyes of the coaching staff. And that goes, you know, if Sean was calling the defense, Sean could have pushed, pushed forward, got yeah. him into the lineup and he didn't. And so I still think that the biggest addition by subtraction this off season is Eric Washington. I think that, He's somebody at that at way the season ended. We did it on that post-game episode of Shout after the Chiefs game. I said, he's got to be on the hot seat. He's got to be moved on. They're not developing players. Like, here's another thing. You mentioned a defensive tackle has got to play from the jump. What about Tim Settle? What? Why couldn't he play from the jump? What about Puna Ford? What happened to him this season? What about Jordan Phillips? And um, who was the other defensive tackle that they were they brought in that was playing? Joseph. Who, Linval Joseph, uh, he he did play a little bit more than the the rest. But there never seemed to be a trust in the depth guys. And now you're going to draft a rookie, you're going to have to trust them. You're going to have to get them out there. Whether or not you trust them or not is irrelevant. You're going to have to depend on your development. I think there's a lot of hope for Marcus West, who's taking over for Eric Washington. I've seen him out, out of the practice field. It seems like he connects with players. I always stand at the far end when he works with the defensive ends. Uh, Shaq Lawson, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, Greg Russo, and A.J. Appanessa. And it's always a loose group. You could tell the respect there, um, the closeness. So I think that that's good for um, what potentially that could be next season. But don't get it twisted. This defensive line has underperformed in the big spots the last couple of seasons. It can't happen anymore. So whoever you draft, you have to make sure that they are going to be a day one contributor and somebody that's going to be able to show up not only in September, but in January.
1: Yeah, I, I think that Sean McDermott will miss Eric Washington from the perspective of they've coached together for a long time between Carolina and Buffalo. He was probably a soundboard uh, for McDermott in terms of someone he would trust his opinion on. But in, in terms of actual performance from that unit, this defensive line has let the team down in meaningful moments time and time again in in the playoffs and in games that mattered late in the regular season. Um it just hasn't been, you know, it wasn't working and they went out and they added a Von Miller because he was supposed to be the missing piece. Well, a big part of this was they weren't getting the right, you know, the development out of these younger players. And AJ Panessa did take a step forward this year. Uh, I, I don't feel like Greg Rousseau took a step forward as a pass rusher. I think he, he became elite as a run stopper. Uh, I still think there's a lot of untapped potential there though. So from a coaching perspective, I do think that losing Washington is not the worst thing. I'm interested to see what Marcus West can do. They hired a, a assistant defensive line coach that was a pass rush specialist. Uh, it, it is former stop, so you're going to try to get some more out of this group, whoever it is, because there's a lot of names that uh, could ultimately be on the move. But yeah, the linebacker play has been solid throughout Sean McDermott's tenure, and this year, arguably being the best that they've gotten out of it, considering the injury to Milano, uh, the secondary has always been strong. It just feels like the defensive line has never been able to match the performance of those other two units.
0: Um, I I'm much lower on Eric Washington than you are. Like, I think he was bad. Like, I, I think that he was somebody that was given the most talent, the most resources, and did the little. The the smallest amount with the resources that he was given, Um, you know, and we spent a whole season getting to talk to him once a week. And I never came away from, I came away more impressed in one session with Bobby Babich than I ever did in any session with Eric Washington. And that's not just like, you know, the coach speak and all that kind of stuff. It's like the, what you feel like, you know, in terms of your your group and what you're doing. And listen, it was a defensive line that it was good this year. Like you mentioned AJ Epinesa, you mentioned, um, Leonard Oliver Floyd. having his best season. Yeah. Leonard Floyd having a great year, but Leonard Floyd was going to be that probably regardless of who was the the position coach. I think th- there's a chance to really upgrade there is my point. Larry Gertie says, I wonder the same thing, Matt, uh, about, um, you know, guys playing over other guys still can't believe AJ Klein played over uh, Dorian Williams, probably cost Buffalo the Super Bowl that decision alone. I don't want to get too far into that because that was a very hotly contested issue on social media after the, the, the the chiefs game. But I do think that that's an area of potential growth for Sean McDermott. Like, listen, if you're worried about the worst, you're not going to be able to see the best right? And I think AJ Klein, there was a limit at what he was going to provide you against that Chiefs offense. And was there a floor that was probably lower with Dorian Williams with the potential mistakes? Probably, but the potential plays and getting you off the field with a couple of splash play potential with Dorian Williams, I still think I would have gone in that direction. Now, I don't know, like AJ Klein's a guy that they've relied upon for a long time, but he was coming off the couch. There was a lot that went into that pl- that, that call. Um, I didn't love it at the time. I still don't love it weeks later. But it's also like it's on Dorian Williams a little bit too to create that trust, and maybe he just didn't do enough. Uh, our good buddy Matt over there, <laughs> scared money, don't make money. I love that line. Um,
1: <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no. Uh, we could go back and forth on the Klein decision, Dorian Williams – Williams flash at times. I thought he had some good moments uh, in the playoffs when he was out there on the field. The athleticism obviously favors Dorian Williams significantly in terms of trying to cover uh, Travis Kelsey and other players, but there's the trust factor and, and it feels like there just wasn't enough trust in Williams in that moment. Uh, the Bills didn't want it to be beaten with a big play, but unfortunately, they were beaten. But you know, by what is it the, the saying, "a thousand paper cuts" or whatever it is, uh, because AJ Klein just couldn't cover a Travis Kelsey, and there was no way to really get them off the field for most of that game.
0: You're watching Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast, right here on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, X. Wherever you watch, we appreciate it. If you're on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel as well. We're going to have you covered all off season long. Uh, we, we were doing about four shows um, a week in season, Ryan. We were absolutely just crushing it, uh, getting after it, if you will. And I think um, we'll probably be on more of a two cadence in the off season to a week. Right. Um, we will do... Um, three or four on the busy week, so combine week, expect more uh around free Draft agency and free agency, yep. that kind of stuff. Yeah, mini camp, all that stuff. So it'll be good. All right, one more question, then we're gonna get we have to get out of here. We didn't get to all of them, and I actually put out in the insiders if anybody else has anything, and they sent a bunch of questions in, and we're not gonna have time for any of those, so we'll have to do another podcast, which we'll do next week, and we'll have those questions, so don't worry about that. Our good buddy Mark Henry, uh, in the insider chat said, um I know a lot of people are talking about Justin Shorter, and I know they play different roles as wide receivers, but as far as helping the team next year at a low-cost value, I'm surprised no one is bringing up Andy Isabella more, especially since they have him on the roster. thought he played great in the preseason, helped out with special teams a few games, has great speed, and stayed healthy the whole year. I uh, really wish Josh didn't miss him on the setup screen uh, in the Pittsburgh game. He was wide open. Think he can play be played in the McKenzie role, which produced many first downs or jet sweeps. And if they gave him some more reps, he would be a game ready uh if Shakir were injured. What are your thoughts on this? And I think it's, you know, very interesting to bring up. And, and, and I also think, you know, the Isabella point to me that's worth making is they always seem like, you know, when you get like paid, uh, you know, on Friday and you, and you got like Couple hundy in the in cash sitting in your back pocket and it's burning a hole. and You just got to get it out. You got to go spend it somewhere. To me, Andy Isabella felt like payday for the Bills, right? Like they knew they had him on the practice squad and they were just itching any way they could to use him. There was no real injuries on offense outside right. of that that Gabe Davis stretch. Uh, that so much so was he burning a hole in their pocket that they benched Deontay Hardy for a game and brought him up, but they just again. The vision for players sometimes, and it's not always going to be perfect. It it doesn't necessarily um, equate once things get going in the game. And I I never felt like whether it was Joe Brady or Ken Dorsey ever found the right role for Andy Isabella. Maybe that could change with an offseason to plan for it now that he's in the cards.
1: Yeah, you have him under that future reserve deal and he's going to be back in, in the uh summer, having the opportunity to make that roster going from the 90 man roster down to 53. He knows uh, you know, he, I can't say he knows the system because I'm sure that Joe Brady is going to be changing quite a bit to this offense, but he has familiarity with Joe Brady and Joe Brady probably knows some good ways to utilize him and his talent. So I do think there's a, a case to be made for him being that final wide receiver uh, on this team, kind of like what the Jake Kumaro role was a few years ago, a special teams guy, a guy that can add something, you know, Kumara wasn't much in terms of the wide receiver role, but he could block. Uh, I think Isabella could add that speed element. I also think there are younger guys here that I'm really intrigued by. Tyrell Shavers is one. Uh, he was a UDFA and, and he's still kind of sticking around. Uh, maybe he can uh, compete for a role next year. And obviously Justin Shorter, he looks the part. He did not look like a rookie in terms of his physical build and his appearance at training camp and after the Bills drafted him. He's a very raw prospect, though, and the Bills, you know, there's something that they liked about him. If he can develop, yes, he can also have a role in the back end here. The key for the Bills is finding someone that they can trust as that wide receiver two role, but then continue to develop these younger players on the back end.
0: Yeah, I like keeping Andy Isabella around, but, like, I also think that you can get a – version of that player in the draft udfa like you uh kind of alluded to there there's so many different paths that you could take uh to kind of figure this thing out and i think that depending on how things go this offseason you could you could be looking at a really intense position battle at wide receiver next year because i think they're gonna have to just throw a lot of darts and figure out a way to bring the best you know compilation of five receivers to the mix for josh allen in 20. 24 all right that's gonna do it ryan I, t- I told you 30 minutes 43 as usual <laughs> i lied um final thought i'll give it to you my friend
1: yeah final thought bills mafia uh it seems like a slow time of year but don't be fooled we're gonna have you covered at least two pods per week and then we're gonna be uh dropping a lot of information in the shout insider text group uh you, you know matt already mentioned the combine when i hear or when one of us hear about Top 30 visits, Zoom meetings, things like that. It'll go to the insiders first. So uh, join us in the Shout Insiders. We will have you covered all year long. Indeed. We got wing nuts coming up
0: in March. We did our February show. We'll be back there. So uh, just start, you know, kind of peeking around those first couple of weeks uh, of March. I'll be in Disney World after the Combine. So it'll probably be the second or third week of March where we do our next uh, shout Live at Wingnuts, which, by the way, I was there the other night, Ryan. Uh, they're now the official Cleveland Cavaliers backers bar. Uh, they had this little pop-a-shot contest, which was super cool. Um, I went there, and I think I'd, I put up 52. Of course, John Scott came out, huge Cleveland Cavs fan. He won it with 102, doubled my score. Damn oh, it. You want a you Cleveland Cavaliers jersey, actually. like He's a huge Cavs fan, so super awesome. Uh, so we're going to be putting that together. Uh, if you're in drivable range, or hey, if you want to fly in, party with us, let's go. Like Let's make it a weekend. Uh, March could, could be okay weather. We'll see. Uh, but we'll have it every month over at Wignuts, uh, 1402 Millersport Highway. Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. See you guys next week. Enjoy the Super Bowl, or at least try to. See you soon.